And uh, how many of you in here have ever missed an opportunity? How many times did you not really realize it was an opportunity till it was too late? You know, what would have made you in that moment recognize the opportunity? Maybe just been looking for it? Sometimes it's that simple. You know, you just were, you were so unaware of kind of things that, you know, it kind of came and went. And you're like, oh, that, that could have been better. That, I could have done something or whatever, I, you know, whatever the opportunity was. We learn from that, don't we? Some of those missed opportunities that we think, well, I'd, you know, if I go back, I would, I would, that would be different. But we kind of learn to pay attention. And that's what this week, in Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, what Paul tells us, and I forgot to change that. It is not children of light. It is make the most of it. That's on me this week. Wrong title. But he tells us to make the most of it. That part of the Christian life is learning to be aware, learning to, to see the opportunities that are in front of us that God wants us to take advantage of. And so look with me in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, starting in verse 15, and he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what Paul is doing here is giving us the blueprint for what life looks like when we don't live in the futility of our minds. So if we're going to avoid these things, what does it look like to do the right things? Listen, the Bible is not there to give us detailed, specific answers for every possible problem and question and situation that could arise in one's life. It would be the largest book on earth and would still be incomplete. And so what God does for us is he gives us the principles, he gives us the values, he gives us the path and says, if you'll do these things, then the Holy Spirit will guide you and help you make the most of the life that you are living. And where that starts is that we have to learn to live on purpose. We've got to live on purpose. And, and what I mean by that is, we don't just live a life just kind of flowing and going along to get along. And it's not just about going along with the world. It's that we make decisions and we live in such a manner that we aren't accidentally doing anything. That we are living on purpose. We are living with intentionality. And intentionality does not have to be a bad thing. This doesn't mean that you have to be so regimented and rigid in your life that nothing... No, God wants us to do everything that we do to glorify Him. And so, Paul started this discussion, if you think about it, with do not live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. Now, he says, look carefully, okay? Think about, pay attention to how you live 
not as unwise, but as wise. There are your opposites. He says, don't be like the, the unbelievers of the world who live in the, the, the futility of their mind, who just experience life and, and have no reason for what's happening and just are thrown to and fro by their own feelings, by what other people say, by what the world tells them to do and to be and to value. He says, don't be that. You be in charge of your life. But he says, do it with wisdom. Do it with wisdom. You see, he's concluding that discussion, and it involves being purposeful, aware, and wise in the choices we make. So he says, look carefully, then, how you walk. Look carefully. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So look carefully. What does that mean? It means to do something with exacting precision, to determine carefully. Is your life being lived in such a way that you are determining carefully your steps, your goals, your, your work ethic, your, your ability to relax and enjoy life when, when it's appropriate? Are you, are you intentionally engaging in a life that is not just a series of haphazard, reckless responses to outside stimuli? How do we live? Is it by a choice or is it by reaction? Are we proactive or are we reactive? Now, all of us need to be reactive to the Spirit. The Spirit of God tells us to do something, we react. You know, it's that whole thing, how many remember the disciplinary, you know, when I say jump, you say, you say, man, y'all were good at that. A few of y'all heard that in your life, huh? Yeah, you know, you say jump, I, how high? That should be our response to God. That is, when, when God speaks and he leads, we need to be reactive and we need to react positively. But the rest of our life should be chosen to be proactive in which we are choosing how we live. We are making choices in line with the things of God that, that don't happen by accident. You know, one of the things that, that I've learned in life is that nothing worth doing with God ever happens by accident. Have you ever noticed that? Nothing in your life. You didn't accidentally, like, run into a truth of God that changed your life. Everything God asks us to do is always going to be purposeful to the point of, Every one of you, even if you were at the fair late last night and you're tired, you had to make the choice to get up and come here today. Church did not come to you. You had to come to church. That was a purposeful decision. And God wants that in our lives over and over and over is that we make the choice to honor him no matter what we do. In all things, in everything that we do, we do it to the glory of God. That will never happen by accident. It will never happen simply just because, and like, well, I don't know, I just kind of live and whatever happens, happens. God's like, no, that's not how I want you to live. I want you to live on purpose. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to get the results we expect. Did you know it's possible to be completely faithful to God and things not work out? Our older Christians are all like, yep. 
yeah, it's, it's possible that life isn't going to go how we thought, but that's not up to us. We aren't in charge of that. God is. What we are in charge of is how we live, the choices that we make. And so he tells us to look carefully how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So he's telling us the blueprint for life, for, for faith success, okay, for a life that represents God. He's giving us the blueprint for it. Because you can apply this to every situation. We can ask, what is the wise thing to do here? What is it that represents God? What is it that will glorify God? And then we can take scriptural truth and we can apply principles and we can make a decision that will please God. Now, we're not ever going to have 100% assurance in, in everything. And that's why he says later, he says, do your best to understand the will of God. It's not something that's just a black or white every time. But you know, our success is going to outweigh our failure in that a whole lot more if we are purposeful. And so listen to what the book of James says about wisdom. It says, but the wisdom from above. So the wisdom that we're not as unwise, but as wise, we are to walk according to the wisdom of God. And James says, the wisdom that comes from a God is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Let that simmer for a second. Think about those. Doesn't this sound like the kind of person you want to be around? Pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful. Their life is good of, full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. Doesn't that sound like the kind of person that Jesus was on earth? You see, the, the fruit of a wise life, the, 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 the results of a life lived by the wisdom of God are going to be evident. And so when Paul says, look carefully how you live, he's saying make sure that the choices you make are in line with the wisdom of God. He says not as unwise, but as wise. Unwise choices are what? Going with your own gut and not consulting the word of God or praying about it. Unwise choices are going along to get along with a world that is hostile towards the truth of God. Unwise choices are, hey, if it feels good, do it. Those are unwise choices. And, and, and we all know there are times when we've probably made choices along those lines and we look back and regret it. And say, man, if I'd have seen where that was going, well... The Bible tells us where it's going. The wages of sin is death. And so we always are going to see that. And so God's wisdom in life is not a matter of never making a mistake or getting something wrong. People think that if you're wise, you're never going to mess up. That's not the case. Solomon, wisest man on earth, 300 wives, mistake. <laughs> wisdom is having the ability to discern truth from error. To recognize the truth and the way of truth despite the chaos that's around us. Now, it's discipleship and it's faith that pushes us through to make those choices. To follow through on it. And so, it's not about never getting anything wrong. We aren't perfect and we never will be. Some of you need to accept that. And I say that because you're hard on yourself. You are so hard on yourself that... that you, you are never going to be perfect. You know what? God knows that. 
If we could be perfect, then the cross was unnecessary. We're going to make mistakes. When God called you as his child, he has forgiven every sin, and that means every sin you're going to make. When he created his plan for your life, he factored in your mistakes. Take comfort in that, that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be faithful. Which faithfulness means when I do mess up, what do I do? I come back to God immediately and I say, okay, God, I blew it. Teach me, help me, forgive me, help me to, to, to grow from this and help me to make the right choice next time. And yes, life at that point can feel like, I don't even know which illustration you use, a scratched record, a scratched CD, or a messed up MP3. Which one is it these days? Because like none of those even work anymore. But it's like caught on, yes, it can feel like a life caught on repeat. But that's okay because God is going to work through it. And wisdom can be learned and will be learned over time. We aren't perfect and we never will be, but to have the wisdom from above means that we will approach decisions and live life in a way that reflects pure motives, a peaceable disposition, a gentle and thoughtful process that leads to mercy and good results. Are your choices in life leading to these things? Does it lead other people to these things? Then you know the wisdom of God is involved. And it means that the good wins out in the long run. When the good wins out, everyone benefits. There is a resolute strength of love that is at the core of godly wisdom. That is more about who we are than what we accomplish. We can accomplish things by worldly wisdom, but be completely out of step with God. Or we can be walking with God and experience professional failure, but know that integrity was intact and that we walked with God and God's got me and he's in control of my life anyway. So this failure doesn't reflect on me as a person. It's just, hey, things didn't work out. It can happen. And, and so... How we engage in life matters. It matters way more than the results that we think, well, if I'm faithful, these things will happen. No, what we see is if we are faithful, successfully faithful in our lives, we will become a certain thing. There are no outward results that are ever really guaranteed in Scripture. You know, there's no five steps to success, you know, lined out in Scripture. Jesus never told us how to run a business. Jesus did not tell us how to, to run a city. He, he didn't tell us those things. He gave us the path of life, and then he said, now you take that, and you do what you do to my glory. So you take these things, this wisdom, and you apply it to your job. You apply it to your family, which God is, Paul is going to get into. Later in Ephesians, he's going to show us how living as wise, not as unwise, impacts our family impacts our jobs, impacts our children, impacts the spiritual realm. And, and so he tells us to look carefully how we live. And, and so he says, making the best use of the time. We have opportunities to serve God that pass us daily that we probably completely miss because we aren't looking for them. We're not 
actively trying, hey, God, what do you want me to do? And so we say, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear what's going on around me so that I can serve you better. Now, that doesn't mean that every single day you're going to lead a revival somewhere. It doesn't mean that every day you're going to boldly stand for God. It may be that one day you see somebody and say, hey, you know what, can I pray for you? Because I see that you're struggling and I can see that you're, you're down. Hey, let me give you a hug. Let me pray for you. And God may say, good work. You, you did what I asked you to do today. It's amazing so many times how small the things that God will ask us to do in a day are that they add up over time. But that is what living as wise is and making the best use of the time. And he says, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. You see, if we're living in the futility of our mind and we're just being tossed to and fro and the days are evil, then what that means, we're going to be swept up into that evil. We're going to be caught up in it somehow. And so he says, no, look carefully, make decisions on purpose, live on purpose for me and engage in my wisdom because then you'll be able to make the best use of the life that you've been given despite the evil that is around you. You won't be swept up in it. You will be a force against that evil. And so he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, what is foolishness, biblically speaking? The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Foolishness is living as though God's not watching, as though God is not present, as though God's words don't matter. Foolishness is living as though I am autonomous to myself and I am not answerable to God. That is foolishness. The world has convinced us that foolishness is just somehow being intellectually deficient. And so people are like, well, I'm not a fool. I'm, I'm really smart. I, it doesn't matter how smart you are. The smartest person in the world can be a fool. And the person with the lowest IQ in the world can be faithful to God and, and live in wisdom. This has nothing to do with human intellect. And, and so... In short, he's telling us, knowing that evil is rampant, we are to live knowing that God is present in this evil world. That our choices matter. See, there is no benefit for God's people getting caught up in the evil of this world. Think about it. There is no benefit to it. To get caught up in the materialism of this world, how does it benefit a child of God? To get caught up in the lust of this world, how does it benefit a child of God? There's no benefit to us living in an unwise, worldly manner. And it's not that we look at the world and we're like, I'm better than the world. I'm better than this. No, it's that God has called us as the sermon series is to reach higher. He's calling us out of the pit. And so we got to learn to recognize the pit for what it is. And don't try to bring the pit with you. Because that's something we like to do. And so there is a resolute strength of love that is at the core of godly wisdom. And then faith is activated by wisdom. You see, wisdom and faith are complementary. And this is something that we, we kind of forget. We, we somehow think that if I'm wise, I'll have all the answers and I'll know what I'm doing. 
No, if you're wise, then you'll recognize where God is in control and where you're not. And faith will have to step in then and say, okay, I, I now have wisdom to see light from dark, and now faith is going to push me to move towards the light. Wisdom and faith are complementary to each other. It is not one or the other. Wisdom allows you to see clearly to practice your faith, to respond in faith. And that's why the Bible tells us, pray for wisdom. In the book of James, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives freely without finding fault? You see, when we see that we lack wisdom, we're saying, God, I don't understand light from dark right here. I'm not understanding what it is, where my faith needs to go. And he says, oh, I'm happy to tell you that. Now, notice he didn't say wisdom would give you all the answers and all of life would work out then. When we understand wisdom for what it is, we're saying, I don't understand light from dark right now, God. And he says, I will clarify that for you. Every time it says he gives freely without finding fault. It's still up to faith at that point to take the steps. You see, faith then has to enter in now that discernment has happened and move towards faith. And so, I want you to think about this. Are you living on purpose in your life? All of it. And when I say all of it, I mean all of it. Making the most of the time is glorifying God in all that we do. So if you're working, work to the glory of God. If you're resting, rest to the glory of God. And I mean it. You know you can take a nap to the glory of God. And I mean that. There are days, look, God gave us six days and he said, what, I'm the seventh, do what? Rest. He meant it. So we can chill to the glory of God when it's appropriate. So think about this. If you are socializing, socialize to the glory of God. And we're going to get into more of what that means. But do, do your friends, do you encourage each other in your faith in a healthy way? It's not that we have to have church every time we're around our friends. We need to have fun. We need to, to socialize with our friends. But that doesn't mean that we don't encourage each other. What is a good friend other than that person that supports you in your life and in which you enjoy one another's company? Well, if God is a part of your life, your friends, they should, they should be able to have that part of your life with it. If you're worshiping, then yes, worship to the glory of God. If you're involved in recreation, have fun to the glory of God. Now think about that. I've known people who say, I, I just can't have fun unless I've got alcohol in my hand. You don't know God. I don't think Jesus was boring. And I mean that. When you, when you hear about the people who were drawn to Jesus, who were they? We always like, you know, it's the, the prostitutes and tax collectors and, and the sinners. You mean the people that lived life for fun? were drawn to this man. You know why? Because he loved them. He told them the truth. He, didn't, he never celebrated their sin. He always called them to repentance. But at the same time, they were like, this guy's not like these other people that are so holy, they're angry. He's not like them. He's loving. He's fun. He, he, he talks with us. He jokes with us. He's, he's kind of one of us, but not. 
In fact, I want to be like him. You see, we can have recreation to the glory of God, but it's a mindset that we really have to take on. And how we do that is by focusing on the spiritual. We have to learn to focus on the spiritual things of life. Paul gives us a principle for life, and in this one, he uses alcohol as an example. What we choose to fill our lives with matters. There are mindsets and actions that will lead us away from God and appeal to the flesh, and there are mindsets and actions that will draw us towards God. So let's listen to what Paul says. In verse 18, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So he's got a contrast here. There's an either-or. So it's not just get drunk or be filled with the Spirit. There's a, a larger principle here. He says, But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, and do not get drunk with wine. Why? Well, he tells us. He says that is debauchery. Drunkenness equals debauchery. What is debauchery? The definition is extreme indulgence in sensual pleasures, a seduction away from morality, allegiance, or duty. It's when it's all about me. Self-indulgence. Okay? Self-indulgence. Think self-indulgence. Self-sensual indulgence. Again, living for the senses. Living for pleasure. Living to numb the pain. People most of the time drink to numb the pain of life. He says, don't numb the pain. Find a different joy. And so he says, do not get drunk with wine. Do not live for self-indulgence. But be filled with the Spirit. The answer to life is not to numb the pain of life. The answer to life is to go to the source of life and live for Him. And within that, you will develop your own joy. You will develop the, the joy of the Lord that is above circumstances, that goes beyond whether or not things are working out right now. Paul is telling us that our lives must not travel the path of temptation. You see, that's what it, this is. He says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't give in to self-indulgence. Don't live your life for yourself alone. You do that, it's going to go somewhere bad. And we've, we've all been there. But, but I need you to listen to that. When we start living for ourselves, it will always, always degenerate into something bad. Whether it's selfishness, whether it's pride, whether it's it, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. It will always what, take whatever's wrong with us, magnify it, and that's what's going to start coming out every single time. And, and so he says, don't give in to that, but live by the assurance of faith that comes from being filled with the Spirit. Do not live foolishly out of control, but live by self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. So instead of drunkenness... Instead of being out of control, we are to choose a life of praise. And this is where praise comes in. This is so important. Men, I need you to listen to this. It is not unmasculine to sing praises to God. Some of the greatest hymns of our faith we're going to talk about in a while are written by men. 
Because they understood the necessity of praising God for who he is. And so he tells us what? He, he says in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, very quickly right here, the first thing is that he says addressing one another. So the life of wisdom is going to inherently involve other people. Notice how sin isolates faithfulness creates community. Always. Always. Sin will always lead us towards isolation. Self-indulgence will always lead us towards isolation. You know why? Because those who won't be a part of our self-indulgence, we'll just separate from them because, hey, you're bringing me down. Whereas faith leads us to that place where how can I bring you up? How can I help you? We, we, we get outside of ourselves. Sin gets us locked up within ourselves. Faith gets us outside of ourselves in constructive and, and positive ways that, that are serve the kingdom of God and help us find our purpose and, and reason for living in life. And, and so don't look to escape or numb yourselves to the realities of life, but live by faith. And so he says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking about in a whole mindset towards life that involves a continual praising of God. Make God your joy in life. You know why? Because God is infinite, and so he is infinitely able to fulfill. He is infinitely able to, to give. Because the joys of this world, they fade, right? How many of you are still just, just celebrating that chief Super Bowl? You're not, right? You're like, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah, it's over. And I get it. It's fun in the moment. I mean, it's awesome. You're like, yeah. But it ends. You know what doesn't end? God. And no, God is not a sensual pleasure like that. And so we, we don't feel it as acutely in the moment. But you know what we do have? We have his eternal presence that lasts for all of life. See, we don't need the high because we don't hit the low. Because God sustains us. He is our sustainer, our provider. And when we make him our joy, something amazing happens in life. When times are tough, we won't need to escape or numb ourselves to life. We'll be able to rely on the strength and grace of God. We'll be able to praise him still and see his goodness and thank him. And we'll be able to see the blessings that we still have even when times are tough we will still have a heart of gratitude. And so we are to avoid the temptations that lead us away from morality, from allegiance and duty, and we are to praise God in the community of God. We are to encourage one another, and he says this with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. How many of you remember the worship wars of the 90s? We're traditional. We're contemporary. You know what Paul said? He said, do all of it. Use all of it. He said, this is the life of praise. Use all of it. So we're going to talk about this for, for just a moment. Okay? Because this is what worship will look like. He says, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We have foundational truth in worship all the time. Scripture. That's what he's talking about with psalms. We have to have an objective 
standard to look to in worship or things will degenerate very, very quickly. Okay, there has to be a foundation. That's scripture. We have to go back to scriptural truth. We have to go back to what God has told us to praise, how to praise. And the greatest book in the Bible to do that is the book of Psalms. We can see, praise him for his, his glorious strength and for his power and for his wisdom. And it tells us what to praise and, and how praiseworthy he is. And we can model our worship after that. But we have to have the foundational truth. Then we have traditional expressions. Every culture will come up with its own traditions regarding worship. And if they're based on scripture, they're fine. And you know what? They're the ones that seem to survive. When they're based on scripture, and it's a tradition that has drawn people close to God, it seems to survive the ages. You know, it just kind of keeps going. And people are like, man, this, this hymn is 300 years old, and we're still singing it. You know why? Because it's good. It declares the glory of God, and it gets people to, to reach higher in their praise. And then there are new expressions. He calls them spiritual songs, and they are needed. The Psalms say, sing to the Lord a new song. You know why we need that newness? Because we don't experience life in the past. We have the foundation, we have the tradition, but man, we're experiencing life right now too. And sometimes God gives us a new expression of praise that we need to share. And it keeps us fresh. People are like, I don't like learning new songs. I've heard this in church. I don't like learning new songs. Okay. Do you like learning new truth from Scripture? Then this is just a personality thing. Find a way to worship. But we have to involve all three of them. We have to be open to all of them. And notice what he said, wisdom from above. James said what? Is open to reason. Open to reason. It's reasonable. So does that mean that every hymn is tradition is, is great? No. I could go out there and get you a hymn book right now and read you a hymn that would have you laughing. You know why? It's titled Jesus Christ, Lord of Earth and Outer Space. <laughs> it made the hymn book. How? I don't know. <laughs> but it's pretty bad. But you know what? We don't sing it. Nobody sung it. <laughs> it made it in one of the hymn books. I don't know why. It's there, and yet it never got sung, and it got forgotten about. But you know what? How great thou art, holy, holy, holy. They've made every hymn book since they've been written. You know why? Because they're good. They are powerful songs of praise that remind us of the deep truths of Scripture. Think about the Psalms. I love personally Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Fire goes before him and consumes his enemies on every side. There's something to think about. You want an exalted image of God in your mind? Go ahead. Think on it. Praise God with it. And you know, modern songs, I love a lot of modern music. Are there bad ones? Yeah, there were bad hymns. There are bad praise songs. I skipped them. I choose not to make that a part of my world. But you know, even modern ones right now, Living Hope, Hymn of Heaven, the King of Kings, those modern songs, they give me chills. They, they, they so 
correctly and, and powerfully illustrate the gospel and the power of what God does, and it's a new expression of it. I love it. God is telling us to praise him. And if you aren't, you are missing out and you are rebelling against God's command. And this is something that I've watched in multiple churches in my life, and even when I visit churches, when it's time to sing the praises, how many, and men, I don't know why, and you'll have to explain it to me, but so many men just... And then I, 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 at times I'd even ask them about it, and they're like, I just need the message. I'm like, you don't get it. You don't just need the message. You need to praise God because it's right, because it's good, because there is a power in that. That you're, What you're saying is you don't need to worship the God who created the universe, that you don't feel comfortable bowing before your king. That's a dangerous ground, my friend. We are called to worship. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be demonstrative about it. That doesn't mean you have to make a spectacle of yourself, but singing in worship is something that God wants us to do. To refuse to worship in song is to tell God that you do not need what he gives when we worship him. We are commanded to worship among the saints and to make melody in our own hearts. And this is part of living wise. There is a wisdom in this. Now look, it doesn't always make sense. Okay, it's not always quantifiable of, hey, if I do A, B happens and I'll be able to recognize it. There is a mystery to God and we have to embrace that mystery that he will work how he wants to work. And then, Paul throws something in out of nowhere, it seems. And he tells us we need to be willing to be last. He says, making melody to the Lord in your hearts and giving thanks and everything. And then he says, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, he finishes this section with a command that needs to be understood and practiced at every turn. We, we got to understand really what's going on. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Christian life is not and has never been about crowning a winner. You know why? Because the king of kings is already crowned. This is his story. And it is not about any of us accomplishing something other than what God has called us to do. And nobody's ahead of the other. The ground is remarkably level at the foot of the cross. And we, that's where we all are. And when we start trying to anoint ourselves above others, that's when problems happen. And I mean big problems in churches. And Paul's saying, this is part of living in wisdom, is being willing to submit rather than assert. And that's not easy. Like, I, I want to know, how many of you in here, let's just have a moment of honesty, okay? I know this is hard. How many of you hear the word submit and something and you're just like, mm-mm? Nope. Preacher can preach all he wants. Not doing it. Now, he didn't say to everybody and to everything. He says to one another, so he's talking to a church 
a, a body that is working together to, to glorify God and to grow in God in the church family, okay? So this is not like at large, like you need to be a doormat for everybody in your life. That is not what he is saying. But he is saying we need to be willing to put others before ourselves within the body of Christ. We need to be looking out for the interest of others and not only our own interest. And why do we do this? He says out of reverence for Christ. It's not because they deserve it. If we're waiting for them to deserve it, it's not going to happen. It is because Christ saved us when we didn't deserve it that we now can submit to another when they don't deserve it. Now that doesn't mean, again, indulging sin. That is not, this is not the submission he's talking about. He's not saying we just indulge bad behavior. No, we, we call that out. Okay, we, we help each other with that. We, we work to follow Christ together. But it does mean that I don't assert my preference for a hymn over another person's preference and we start a worship war over is it contemporary or is it traditional? You know what that means? That means we're both willing to submit and say, you know what? We need to both be reasonable. God has called us to that. The wisdom of God is reasonable. How about we have both? Amen. And how about we both actually worship to both? This is why I have a problem with churches that have a contemporary service and a traditional service. Way to divide the body. You've really worked towards unity. And I mean that. Like, good job. You've told people that their preference is more important than unity. Come and get what you want. And guess what? Those churches are divided. They are. That's what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That we are willing to put ourselves last. You see, what enables us to live as wise and not as unwise and to make the best use of the time is that we are called to get out of our own way. Get out of your own way. And put the thing of God first. Put the will of God first. And then figure out where your preferences land within that of, okay, do I get a preference even? Because sometimes the will of God is going to say, no, you don't get a preference in this. Oh, okay, well, I don't get a preference. Thank you, God. Or, okay, I have a preference. Yeah, that's okay. We can work within that. I can work within the will of God in this, and, and it's okay. But we have to put the will of God first, and we have to understand this isn't about building anybody's kingdom but Jesus's. You see, Jesus said this, and I'm going to close up with this. Matthew 23, 11 through 12, he says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's plan for the church. And he says, if you want to be first, you better learn how to submit. You better learn how to serve, and you better learn how to do it with a joyful heart. Because if you don't, and you exalt yourself, what does he say? Whoever exalts himself will be, say it. He says, that's going to snap back on you hard. And God has a way of doing that. And we may win in a moment and think, I got my way, but trust me, God is watching, and that is living foolishly, and God is going to take care of that in the long run. He has a way of doing that. 
And, and so we have to settle. I mean, it, it, we, we really do. We got to get that inside of us, whatever that is, and say, I can settle for being last. It's okay because God has saved me and I am loved by Christ and my sins are forgiven. My life is good because I have Jesus, so I don't have to win this battle. In fact, I don't even need to engage in this battle because this battle is pointless. We have to be willing to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Paul is going to continue this. The submission theme is going to continue for the rest of the book. So don't, we're not leaving it behind here. It will continue into the next one. But this is how we make the most of the time. This is how we make the most of life. Is by living on purpose, focusing on the spiritual, and being willing to be last. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today, God. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together to worship your name, to praise you, to study your word. God, I pray that the words that we've, we've read today, God, that you would bring them to mind, Lord, what you want us to learn and, and know. Lord, let your truth settle into our heart. Let it grow roots. Let it grow roots that over time it would bear fruit. God, we're yours. Our lives are not our own. We've been purchased at a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus Christ. God, we ask you, use us as your servants to glorify your name, to build your kingdom, to minister to others. God, help us to get out of our own way. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray together. Amen. Let's stand.